Dracula is Judas. Oh, wow. That's in Dracula 2000? It's in Dracula 2000. Who betrayed Jesus. I feel like this is heady stuff for a movie starring vitamin C. Hello, welcome to Guides the Unknown. I'm Kristen. And I'm her little brother, William. And this week we're going to be talking about Dracula, famous vampire. <laughs> you said that that's a, with a Y, the way yes. that you've said it. Yes. V-A-M-P-Y-R. Mm-hmm. Very cool, very classy. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. One of the original universal monsters. Yeah, that's true. One of the, I think, just uh, original icons of horror. Yes. Of the entire game. Yes. William, what do you think you know about Dracula? You know, it's an interesting question. I think what my knowledge has amounts to almost exactly what Dracula is. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I could have told you some of the nitty gritty things that I have learned in my research for this week, but what I know is he's a vampire. Yeah. And this week, we're not going to be talking about vampires overall. We're talking specifically about the character of Dracula. But so he drinks blood to survive. Mm -hmm. He has the ability to transform into different animals, the most famously known of which is a bat. Yep. However... In uh, the original Dracula stories, he's also able to turn into a wolf Mm -hmm. or turn into a cloud of vapor, which I think those are lesser known things that he's able to do. Yeah. Um, He's a seductive fellow. He is. He's known to woo the ladies. Mm -hmm. He likes to have a bride. Right. Um, He can corrupt your mind, famously as in the case of his little uh, stooge. Renfield, That's who eats right. bugs and stuff, um, kill him by shoving a stake through his heart or exposing him to sunlight. Mm-hmm. He's repelled by garlic and William, you know crosses. a lot about Dracula. I told you everything that I know, I think, is all he is. Yes. I think I know everything. Yeah, you really do. Yeah, yeah. Why, what do you think you knew? I mean, basically just what you said. Exactly. The book everybody. Was by, I know. Everybody knows these like broad strokes things right. about Dracula, which is like basically all you need to about, know about Dracula the man. Sure. Um, I don't really know much about Dracula the book. Have right. you ever read it before? No, I, I would have liked to have for this show, but in place I, wanna... I watched like three or four movies. Oh, nice. So. I want to I wanna read it now. Really? It sounds good and interesting. I posit that Dracula, the book, is perhaps one of the first found footage horror properties. Is that right? We'll get to it. Oh, that's interesting. Little teaser. But yeah, I think that Dracula is one of those figures that even if you don't think that you maybe know everything ab- about him, you... You pretty much know. You basically do. If you can list those things off that Will just listed, like you pretty much have a handle on Dracula. But maybe this week we can give a sort of a deeper dive oh, yeah. into some of the story there. And I certainly later in the show have different incarnations of Dracula throughout pop culture history, mm-hmm. um, which will also be fun. Do you have Dead and Love in it? I do. Of course I do. Excellent. What are you talking about? Leslie okay. Nielsen all up in here. Oh, good. Awesome. So let's kick things off with the reason for the season. The way by which we even decided to cover Dracula is because one of our listeners and patrons, Drew, sent us the coolest thing. Yeah. He sent us this little vial that says it is Dracula soil. Yeah. Excellent. Along with a note. And I like that Drew didn't say like, I love this as well, but it's not like, hey, Kristen and Will, blah, blah, blah. He just sent us an information sheet, just purely a story. And yeah, Will hasn't seen this yet or anything. So my part of our research this week is talking about Vlad the Impaler, who is said to be 
the inspiration for Dracula and then a little bit about the book Bram Stoker's Dracula and whether that's true. And so this letter from Drew is what like sets that off. So he says, Vlad III is best known today for two things, impalement and Bram Stoker's Dracula. Vlad was born in the early 15th century and would reign as the Voivode of Wallachia three times during his life. I looked it up and Voivode means military leader or warlord. Oh, okay. His father, Vlad II, gained the nickname Dracul, which means dragon, due to his membership in the Order of the Dragon, a society of Western Catholic monarchs. Vlad III's reign was marked with a solidification of his line against rivals to the throne and a war against the Ottoman Empire. When he had captured a group of Saxons who were loyal to an opponent of his throne, Vlad impaled them all. This is likely where his moniker Tepes, which means impaler, came from. While his acts of torture are clearly documented, there's contention as to whether Vlad III was truly cruel for his time or whether he was just one of many equally violent rulers. Folk tales about the bloodthirsty voivode of Wallachia were circulated by his enemies, though some scholars believe such tales were exaggerated exaggerated for political effect. Oh. One myth that has very little real connection to Vlad III is the vampire. His most common modern association, that of being the namesake of the fictitious Count Dracula, may actually be sheer coincidence. Bram Stoker's novel Dracula, published in 1897, follows a contemporary vampire's attempt to move from his ancient home of Transylvania to the modern London metropolis. Early notes on the novel show that Stoker originally intended for his vampire to be named Count Wampir, and to have been from Styria, the setting of Sheridan Lee Fanu's 1872 vampire novella, novella, Carmilla. It would not be until at least two years after the first written notes on the novel that Stoker would settle on the name Dracula. Stoker never visited Transylvania himself, and the extent of his research on Vlad III comes from a single book that mentions the Voivode in passing. It is quite likely that Stoker had never known of Vlad III's tendency towards impalement. Rather than being based on a true historical figure, Stoker's Dracula acts more as a, as a personification of antiquity manifest in the modern world. Hmm. As noted above, the earth sealed in this handmade vial comes from the grounds of Sedatia Ponari, the citadel of Prince Vlad's... It's Vlad, right? Prince Vlad. Vlad. Prince Vlad's. <laughs> the citadel of Prince Vlad's ancestors. Perched high on a steep precipice of rock, the fortress was one of Tepe's favorite haunts. Oh. So we are now in possession here at Guides the Unknown headquarters of Dracula soil, courtesy of our listener, patron, friend, Drew. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much Drew. Drew. So awesome. And because of this, we are covering Dracula today. Also a very dangerous thing to have in our possession. For, I know. For Dracula can only set foot where his soil is. That's correct. And he gets power from his soil. Right. We'll so, touch back on his soil a little bit later. Dracula has soiled my home. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're right. He soiled my purse. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. So let's kind of go back. Vlad, wait, now I'm, now I'm seeing this word I don't know how to say. Vlad, Vlad the Impaler. Vlad or Vlad? Uh, Vlad? I say Vlad. Vlad the Impaler. Vlad the Impaler. I don't think I I've ever. Vlad. I don't think I've ever done the math on the name. Mm -hmm. Vla Vlad the Impaler. It just sounds imposing and dangerous, right. but literally means 
that he impaled people. Yes. He shoved giant sticks through them and put them out on pikes. Yes. Pikes a lot, it seems like. Left and right. Pikes Um, are plenty. Pikes are plenty. It it was said that he would like eat his dinner with people impaled on pikes all around him. But like Drew said in the note, we don't totally know if that's true. So let me get into it. I feel like, first of all, Drew's note kind of summed things up very beautifully without getting too far into political stuff. Okay. But I will mention that, um, like Drew said, his cruelty and the extent of it and how unusual that was for the time is kind of debatable, whether he was an especially brutal person or whether he was kind of on par with everybody else from that time. Maybe other people were impaling people left and right. Maybe, but why don't we know them? We know Vlad the Impaler. I have the reason. Okay. He got a hell of a reputation, although this might be, not be entirely a reason. You're right. Why couldn't what's about to happen have been focused on other bad guys? Right. But I don't know. Maybe he... I don't know. The answer is that I don't know. Well, let's see. What, what do you mean? Okay, what, so what is your reason? He had a hell of a rep. There was a Meistersinger, oh. which is a word for a poet, named Michael Bayhem, who wrote a whole ass poem about him that he performed for the Holy Roman Emperor in Wiener Neustadt <laughs> during Vlad the Impaler's lifetime. And it was called The Story of a Despot Called Dracula, Voivod of Wallachia. So people are using this guy's horribleness for entertainment to a degree. Right. So what I'm saying is, I'm saying that he got a reputation because people are using for him for entertainment and going for it. But that does still leave open the question, well, why didn't they do that for other people, too? Uh, I don't know, maybe, unless maybe this Vlad just had it. Unless he was especially horrible. Right. 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. Totally. Um, also, during this time, movable type as a means of printing books and distributing information came about while Vlad the Impaler was like doing all this stuff. Okay. So there was a new way to get information out about him. That's and, another giant reason. So new yes. technology that enables you to write a story, a poem. And then distribute it right. widely, yes. quickly, in a way that you couldn't before. That is a difference between him and maybe other warlords of That's the true. era. He was there at the exact right moment in time yes. where we could spread his story far and wide. Yes. So kind of hard to say. Was he really the worst? I mean, right. he sounds bad. Bad, bad no matter what. But was he, I mean, literally the worst. Not don't like, be a this Vlad the, the Impaler apologist. I am not a I, Vlad I don't know that I've Impaler. ever heard anyone be like, you know, Vlad the Impaler? He's not that bad a guy. No, no, no. My but buddy I, Vlad. You mean Vlad the Impaler? I, well, Vlad. We just call him Vlad. Yeah, we don't really pay attention to that yeah. kind of stuff. No, no, no. I don't mean, is he the worst and and uh, hyperbolizing? I mean, like, the number one bad guy, was sure. he the worst? Right. Uh, maybe he was, maybe he wasn't. I'm still unclear. I love you having to fight your way out of a corner. <laughs> of your... Being a Vlad the Impaler sympathizer. Exactly. This is wonderful. <laughs> I mean, I don't mean that he's, like, the yeah. worst, just <laughs> wiping sweat. sweat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or if he just came at just the right time, or maybe he was the worst, right. and those. Both were factors that made him seem like a bad guy. Um, So also during this time, they figured out how to apply woodcut art to the printed words that they were saying about him. So there are stories about Vlad being distributed, plus images of him doing these horrible things. So that could like really solidify his terribleness in people's minds. Show don't tell. Show don't tell. It's almost like Star Magazine of... Like the late 1400s. Yes, right. But true. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's the same as there being, you know, rumors about Kanye all over the place. 
Right. Right. Correct. Um, are you comparing Kanye to Vlad the Impaler? Dig yourself out of this hole, Will. You bet Tick I for am. tat. <laughs> What's good for the goose is good for the gander. <laughs> Anyway, so he was a very notoriously bad dude. And so even centuries later, when Bram Stoker was writing Dracula, which was in the late 1800s, people were aware of him and he was still top of mind. When he put out Dracula, there were at least some people who may have been like, oh, like they called Vlad the Impaler Dracula. So is this about him? Right. Um, But doesn't really seem like that's necessarily the case because Bram Stoker's notes don't ever name check Vlad the Impaler. People drew the line themselves and they drew it later than I would have thought. So not only, I misspoke a little bit just now, it wasn't just when Dracula came out in the late 1800s that people were like, hey, Dracula, Vlad the Impaler, although maybe they did then too. It became a wider spread thing even further in the future, in the 1970s, people drew that line. Wow. They still remembered Vlad the Impaler then. Like almost 100 years later. Yes. And that his nickname was Dracula. So, um, and I get it. This guy's nickname was Dracula, which I will explain. And the book is called Dracula. So if you're aware of Vlad the Impaler and that he had the nickname of Dracula, it's not that much of a stretch. I get it. So right. I don't mean to criticize too hardly, harshly. Um, but nothing that Bram Stoker actually put forth confirms a Vlad the Impaler connection. So let's talk about Bram Stoker and this whole deal. First of all, this is loosely connected to Bram Stoker, but people say that Bran Castle in Transylvania uh, is Dracula's castle. They often refer to it this way. And some people think that that's actually where Vlad the Impaler lived, but he didn't. It's just a castle, and we know that Dracula, the character, lived in a castle, and it's in Transylvania, and it looks all creepy. There's often, like, fog around it and stuff. So... People just sort of assume that that's the thing. Scary Castle in Transylvania. This must be where Vlad the Impaler lived. And this is all inspiration for the book Dracula. Right. But it's it's just not true. It's just not the case at all. My question is, if we're mistaking things, and this place is called Bran Castle, and the book Dracula was written by Bram Stoker, why not Bram Castle? Why not a rebrand? That's a good question. Yeah, you you see marketing potential there. You should get in yeah, touch with somebody. I absolutely should. So that's kind of neither here nor there. Did you guys hear about Kristen? She's like doing like real estate marketing deals in Transylvania right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird. It's insane to me that it's called Bran Castle. Bram Stoker. Let's get yeah, it going. It is weird. Okay. So one of the biggest through lines between Vlad the Impaler and the book is the name Dracula, as I said, understandably. And as Drew's note to us said... Vlad's dad was called Dracul because it meant dragon and he was in the order of the dragon. In old Romanian language, which has since been kind of modified, um, Vlad III would then be son of Dracul because he is that dude's son. Okay. Or Dracula. And it's kind of like in Spanish using Ida, I-T-A, to oh, mean like little. Okay. So Dracul, Dracula. It's so like, like little Dracula kind of son of Dracula. Uh, of, I mean, of, li- of Son Dracula. of Dracul. Exactly. Right. But in New Romanian, which had come about by the time that Bram Stoker was writing the book and doing his research and everything, Drac meant devil. 
not Dragon. So it seems like Bram Stoker names the character Dracula because of the devil association, not necessarily because of a Vlad the Impaler association and his name being Dracula. Because remember, he never had anything in his notes whatsoever about right. Vlad the Impaler, but he does write in his notes in Wallachian language, or he, he writes like Dracula. In Wallachian language, this means devil in all capital letters. Okay. So he seemed more interested in that association. So, like I said, the theory that Vlad the Impaler was the inspiration for Dracula wasn't even publicly, like, big boom held and spread until almost 100 years after the book was published when it was posited by the authors of a book called In Search of Dracula, who wanted to kind of put together the pieces of the inspiration of the story and Saw, thought that there was a connection between Vlad the Impaler and the character. Uh, most historians reject this theory outright. They say it doesn't make sense, um, largely because of the notes that Bram Stoker took while he was researching the book. But the public just really grabbed a hold of it and were very into it. That's interesting. I know. I think it's really cool. So what is the book Dracula about? I'm not going to exhaustively go over the plot, but you, you know, you went through what we know Dracula and vampires to be, but not necessarily what the plot of it is. I thought it was really interesting that Bram Stoker basically invented the idea of the vampire as we know it. All those things you said, those come from Dracula. There were ideas of vampires in folklore and things like that before, but the... um, like vampires having a weakness uh, with garlic, the idea of him having like a little familiar dude like Renfield, them being all like suave and debonair, um, all those sorts of things directly come from the book. And we see them as vampire as a whole canon now, not just Dracula. So Dracula was so popular and had such a big impact on the idea of vampires that basically Dracula in the book is the prototype for what a lot of people think of as vampires vampires as a whole now so kind of like um sort of like george romero doing night of the living dead and then zombies all spring the modern zombie springs from there yeah exactly yeah you're totally right because now i'm remembering we talked about this on an episode the idea of zombies was in hoodoo i think it originated and then right so it was an existing idea then george romero kind of took that idea and built more lore and rules and stuff around it and then boom this is what zombies are what george romero said sort of yeah he didn't even consider the the hoodoo voodoo uh zombie origin to him his monsters in night of the living dead were called ghouls oh yeah you're right it was other people that started calling them zombies and then it stuck around that's right yeah you're right so okay not exactly george romero intentionally right but but the same kind of principle yes there there was an existing idea of vampires before but Bram Stoker right. made it different. Um, so the book and why I say that it's kind of found footagey in a weird way, it's written as a series of documents, which I did not know at all. It's not like a chapter by chapter narrative with one narrator or even like a third person sort of thing, whatever. You're looking at letters diary entries, newspaper articles, and ship's log entries that are written chronologically, but you get the story that way. And the story is um, about a vampire who is Count Dracula, who is going to England on a boat called the Demeter to get new blood because he's he's sick of, you know, Transylvania or whatever. And once he gets there, people are kind of on to him and he is fought against by Professor Van Helsing and co., 
Um, now, here is where the idea of Dracula soil becomes significant. In the book, he travels with a coffin of soil from his home because he needs to retreat to that on the daily to refresh himself and his powers. So that idea of during the day, because he is like repelled by sunlight, he lies down in a coffin. In the book Dracula, it's not just a coffin. It's a coffin of dirt from his home. And he ships over 50 coffins to England full of dirt because right. he's going over because he's like a really rich count dude and he buys tons of property and he needs to have these coffins all over the place wherever he might be traveling to retreat to. So part of the plot is that Van Helsing and like all his friends find out that he has shipped other such coffins to all of his various properties. And in order to thwart Dracula, they place sacramental bread wafers inside. So they basically put the host in all of the coffins and then he can't open them or even move them or anything. Oh, wow. That's an easy fix. It's a really easy fix. Who knew? So that's not how he's defeated. He's eventually defeated by being stabbed directly in the heart with a knife, not with oh. a stake, okay. um, which is interesting, but still a heart kind of thing. It seems the stake lore evolved maybe a little bit later. Now, me saying that this was pieced together with different sorts of material isn't the only reason that it made me think of found footage. Apparently, the end result of the book Dracula as a whole is way different from what it was originally planned to be. What we now regard as the beginning of the book actually started on page 102 in the first draft of it. And the book also had this preface. I am quite convinced that there is no doubt whatever that the events here described really took place, however unbelievable and incomprehensible they might appear at first sight. And I am further convinced that they must always remain to some extent incomprehensible. All the people who have willingly or unwillingly played a part in this remarkable story are known generally and well-respected. Both Jonathan Harker and his wife, who is a woman of character, and Dr. Seward are my friends and have been so for many years, and I've never doubted that they were telling the truth. So the book starts with him saying, this is a true story that I'm about to tell you. And the story is that his publisher rejected this and anything that claimed to be factual from the book, anything else in the book that was really driving the point home that this is a true story. Because London was currently, when the book came out, in the throes of the Jack the Ripper murders. They were currently happening when Dracula came out and there hadn't been and still hasn't been um, an arrest or anything. So the publisher said London is already totally freaked out. Um, They don't want to read this sort of thing right now. So you need to publish this as fiction or we're not going to publish it at all because this is like not the jam in this economy. Right. And so they removed that preface and other things, I guess, primarily from the beginning of the book that drove the point home that this is a true story and the book is as it is now. And so my question that I didn't find right now, but I may later is did he really mean this is real? Like, was he saying this did, is a true did Bram story? Stoker himself, when he's talking to his publisher, be like, "Yeah, no, seriously, this is a true story. I know the people who this happened to." Yada yada. Or is this like a beginning of the Blair Witch scenario, I, where it's just setting yeah. up, like this happened in the woods of Maryland? We don't know what happened. I mean, without knowing, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. It has to be. I would think it's that, but I'm just surprised that I found in this article from Time magazine that his publisher said, we can't publish this right now because we can't have anything true. They didn't say in 
the article. Like it seems too real. Right. You Bram. can't you can't pretend this is true. They said we can't publish anything true. Right. I think yeah. I think it's a war of the worlds type scenario. Right. Mm-hmm. You you might freak out the entire world while they're already freaked out. Right. That's what it's got to be. Horror I would loves think. to say that it's true. Yes. Right. Yes. Texas Chainsaw. Like all these events are based on a true story. We love that. I bet it stretches back. Why wouldn't that be taking place in the 1800s? I would I would imagine, but like I don't know this man. Maybe he did think it was true. So <laughs> But does he think it's true because he like but he made it up, right? He wrote it. I'm saying what if he was really like, yeah, I have these friends. Yeah, think is true is not quite right. Maybe he's saying it's true. Maybe he's like, yeah, I have these friends who told me this story. And he this changed happened. the names to protect the identities of the real people maybe or didn't i don't know maybe they're real maybe he really was friends with jonathan harker and his wife who told him this yarn this seems like a, a lot to me it's a lot will <laughs> it's a lot to handle so you're saying you're saying that there is at least a chance yes that uh, abraham van helsing yeah was out there hunting a dracula and Bram Stoker wrote it down. I think there's a chance that somebody told Bram Stoker that this all happened because he's not saying that he was involved in this. He's saying that the people who told him that he says that they were his friends and he's never doubted that they were telling him the truth. Right. Okay. So maybe these people told him a story that he believes is true from their lives. And he, he just wrote, wrote it, it down. I have. I don't really know. I don't really know. But I don't what know. do you believe? Do you believe that there's a real Dracula? <laughs> Again, William, you're just glib. Checking William? In, just checking in on your belief structure. Just checking in the te- taking the temperature. William, yeah. you're glib. I think if <laughs> anything, if anything, and I don't necessarily really think so, but I don't know the history enough. If anything, uh-huh. perhaps these people told him this story, right. which he believed to have been true. Okay. Do I really think that there was a Van Helsing out there who was fighting a Dracula? I do not. Okay. But I think it's not impossible because, like I said, I don't know this man. Maybe he's super gullible that maybe the Harkers told Bram Stoker a honey of a right. tale and he decided to make a book so, out of it. Yeah, the Harkers might be like, you know, prank world stars, right? Like they <laughs> Yeah, right. They're like, I'm Jonathan Harker and this <laughs> is, is Dracula. Dracula. Yeah. And then it's like them talking to Bram Stoker uh, by a fire with metal music playing. Down, 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 down. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, interesting. Mm-hmm. That, that is interesting. I do. I love the the found footaginess right. of it. Or exactly what you said, I think also could be true, obviously. That's just like, it makes for a really good story yeah. to be like, what you're about to read is true. Yes. It, it's 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 really fun. It, yeah. I think, amplifies the quality of reading horror when you think that it is something that's actually taken place. Especially when the structure of the story is the way that it is, where it's like, this is a true story. And then it's like correspondence from ship, right. letter from friend to friend. It would make all those things feel even more authentic. I would be very curious to read mm-hmm. to read that. It sounds really good. Yeah, it sounds yeah. really interesting. Right. I would like to read it. So that's the story. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you know, maybe it was a true story, and that's why Bram Stoker never wrote a sequel. Mm-hmm. Right. There's not a Dracula 2. Right. Or is there? Oh. Spoiler alert. Yes, there is a Dracula 2, and I will tell you all about it in just a minute. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not written by Bram Stoker. Oh, okay. Yes, it was written by his great-grand-nephew. Okay. Thank you for asking. Oh, boy. And I can't wait to tell you what happens. 
Oh, excellent. All right. Right after this break. Yes. Uh, I don't know. Go to gttupod.com. Yeah, no. William, don't don't flick it away like it's <laughs> like it's a fly on Renfield's head. Actually, oh, he, he doesn't eat, flick it away. Yeah, I would say he would eat that fly. Pluck it out of the air and eat it. <laughs> Did anybody make any Mike Pence Renfield jokes? Ooh, that would be that would be so, that would be that's Damn. ripe territory for parody. Yeah, but too late. Damn. Oh well. Yeah. Did you see that old Pence pulled a Dwight Fry? <laughs> what? He's the guy that played Renfield. Okay. God. <laughs> okay. Well. Way to go, Dwight Fry. That's right. And there's you say that joke and everyone just kind of, it ruins the fun. Yeah. What? Kills the vibe. Dwight Fry. No one knows his name. No. Yeah, why do you know? Look, guys. I specifically looked it up for this. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. If you want more stuff like this, and who wouldn't? Please go to patreon.com slash gttupod. You can also thank us for stuff like this and support us by donating $4 or more per month to the show to thank us for putting it out and really help us keep the show going. Thank you so, so much to our patrons who are already doing that. Yeah, we've had a bunch of people sign up recently. Yes. And they've now gotten access to the Netherworld Dispatch, Mm -hmm. which is a Patreon-only podcast that we do. Every month we release a brand new episode. Yep. Um, And over there we do things like uh react to clips from movies um track down um i don't know obscure horror to listen to together and with you listening Mm -hmm. to our show out there yeah we put that all together as a podcast you get to hear clips from different things along with us talking about them yeah it's really really fun yeah Um, it's very cool there's also a patron only discord which is basically like a chat room in the year 2021 and it's all people who listen to the show and have similar interests and share them and just talk throughout the day it's a really really nice group of people yeah it's fun and if you if you're not really all that familiar with patreon if you've never taken the leap for any other group or anything like that like once you sign up through patreon you can get all these things just on your regular mm-hmm. phone like you can add the netherworld dispatch to apple podcasts yep or other podcast apps will support that feed and stuff and then uh discord is just an app that you can have on your phone and check in periodically to see what people are talking about maybe it's about this podcast mm-hmm. maybe it's just about books that people are reading and stuff like yeah, everybody movies. is just having good conversation in there yeah, it's really, really awesome. So we'd super appreciate it if you went over to patreon.com slash gttupod. And also just go to gttupod.com to check out all the stuff we have. We also have a merch store you can get to through there. We have a Facebook group that's full of a lot of really cool people. And just, you know, get into it. I just remembered um, the other night I ordered um, some merch, some mm-hmm. Guide to the Unknown merch, um, through a bootleg store that had stolen our logo. What? Yeah, I forgot to tell you. I ordered a mug and a shirt. What? It's a tree logo, and it says Guide to the Unknown in it. I think we've seen it before, but it came, okay. I, I saw it again. Why did you order it? I want to have Yeah, bootleg- no, actually, yeah, no, I want to have that too. <laughs> I want to have yeah. bootleg stuff of our own show. Totally. I don't want to support them, but I do want to have that. Oh, I've got to so have weird. it. I need to have it. Do we, like, sue them or something? What do we get? How do we get them off? Stop doing that. Uh, don't worry. I'll have Henderson on that case immediately. Excellent. We'll, That's our lawyer who we have on retainer. <laughs> we'll dispatch our lawyer. He's our Renfield. Yeah. Yeah. Henderson! Henderson! So anyway, just go to gttupod.com and have fun with us on the internet. Yeah, replenish my uh, coffers because I'm buying bootlegs of our own (laughs) show stuff. (laughs) Replenish my coffers. Yeah, please. I need your help. Um, All right. Hey, let's talk about weird other versions of Dracula and let's start with that book. There is a Dracula the book, too. Oh, my God. More Dracula. 
Um, it is called Dracula the Undead. Mm-hmm. And it came out in 2009. Oh, wow. So, you know, it's what, 12 years ago. Mm-hmm. But it still is surprisingly recent. Yes. For the be- there to be a Dracula 2. Now, it does seem... Is it somebody whose last name is Stoker, or is it like they went on Ancestor.com and they found out that they are extremely far removed and may as well go for it? Yeah, my my name is Bernard Pivot, but I found out that, you know, a weird step-uncle of mine was Bram Stoker, so I'm doing it. No, it's um, Dacre Stoker. Okay. Hell of a name. Hell of a name. Hell of a name. By the way... Bernard Pivot did not escape me. I know I didn't remark on it, but excellent name right off the top. Well, you know what that is, right? No. Uh, it's a lift. Oh. Bernard Pivot, if you've ever seen Inside the Actor's Studio, <laughs> I think that he's the guy that James Lipton would go like, and I've got this questionnaire. I ask all my guests, uh, <laughs> devised by the brilliant Bernard Pivot. <laughs> so I didn't invent that one, but I do love it. So <laughs> That is good. Um Anyway, Dracula the Undead. Mm-hmm. Now, looking into it a little bit, it does seem like it was some sort of a, um, an effort, an attempt, whatever you want to call it, by the Stoker family to regain, um, I don't know, the, the sort of property okay. to, to, to revitalize it mm-hmm. in some way. Um, here's the weird thing. It's especially weird to me now hearing you describe the format of the book Dracula this book, Dracula the Undead, follows the events of Dracula, but says that book got the story wrong. Oh. This new book. It's ballsy, right? Dr- very ballsy. Dracula the Undead is basically the real Ghostbusters cartoon show okay. versus Ghostbusters the movies. I don't know if people know this, but there was a cartoon called The Real Ghostbusters. They had to title it that. For, for purpose of, of copyright reasons, there was already a show called Ghostbusters, so they couldn't use the name Ghostbusters. So they had to say, this uh, cartoon show is uh, the real Ghostbusters. Yeah. And because they were stuck with that name, the cartoon show said, yeah, we're the, we're the actual Ghostbusters, and they made a movie about us. Mm-hmm. And that's the Bill Murray movie. But we're the real ones. Right. That's kind of what this book does. Dracula the Undead is like, well, here's the real story. Weird. And here's what happened Next, Dracula wasn't the bad guy. Oh. Dracula is sort of a hero or anti-hero. Okay. The real villain in this book and revealed to have been responsible for villainous events in the original Dracula book is Elizabeth Bathory. Oh, wow. Okay. Elizabeth Bathory, for people who may be unaware, is a sort of legendary figure that is said to have bathed in the blood of virgins to stay young. So mm-hmm. uh, again, very vampire, yes, vampiric, vampire-esque figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's explained her connection to Dracula in this book is that they are um, cousins by marriage. Okay. <laughs> wow. Wowie. So they're, you know. They might meet each other at a family reunion or not. I might be zooming into the future, but how was this book received? Uh, not well. Okay. No. That's what I would expect. People were like, oh. Yeah. I think the the big response was, huh. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Oh. Well, this Interesting. Is here. Yeah. No, there's a reason you've never heard of this. Yeah, I, right. I'd never heard of this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Elizabeth Bathory is uh, Dracula's uh, cousin. 
By marriage. Uh, by marriage. Yeah. Isn't that weird to add by marriage in there? Yes. Right? Like, I, I wonder if it was like just to fix something, like if you were to look in a family tree maybe, or, or something. Maybe, or just like, or, just I don't know. so distant. Yeah. Just so. That's why I didn't know. I know. It's, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's why it was, it was simmering under the surface the whole right. time. So uh, let's talk about uh, one of the other most famous depictions of Dracula. Dracula, mm-hmm. the 1931 universal horror movie. Sure. Where Bela Lugosi plays the, the the count himself and you know he's always hiding behind that cloak mm-hmm. and the points of light are illuminating just his eyes and he you know ah the children of the night what music they make mm-hmm. very iconic to the point of most people probably even know about this by seeing the numerous parodies yeah, parody. or you know the numerous like characters that have taken their influence from Bela Lugosi um, I watched I've seen this movie before I watched it again the other night with Ali for the first time in years and the thing that stood out to me most the sets are wonderful Mm. there are these gigantic cathedral size sets with uh, enormous high ceilings and spiral staircases that curve up against the stone wall of a castle and eventually renfield will choke uh to death and be thrown from those stairs by dracula um, it is uh, beautiful, very charming. The bats in the movie are all clearly on sticks and somebody's just wiggling them. Oh, I love so that. So that the wings will flap up and down. Love. It's 1931. It's just very charming. Mm-hmm. It is less than an hour and a half long. Ooh. Mwah. You know I love that. And again, I'm going to call him out. Dwight Fry is the actor who plays Renfield. Renfield being... Uh, a character that is in the 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 throes of Dracula's power. He's uh, captivated, possessed, controlled by Dracula. Right. Kristen. Wow. Love him. I love. Love Dwight Fry. Love Dwight Fry. He is going so big. His eyes are enormous. And he is endlessly sneering and trying to eat bugs and stuff, which I never knew why he eats bugs. I thought he ate bugs because he's gross and weird. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, Renfield was just a creep and he ate bugs because he was a weird bad guy. Right. I too thought this until I was doing a little bit of research. It's because of the blood. Yeah. He he believes that he needs to live off of blood and that's Mm -hmm. all that he will be afforded. Right. If he does Dracula's bidding, he will be given as many rats as he could possibly want to eat. The dream. Which is such a... You know, you're under my boot. This is the height you could reach. Yeah. Sort of uh, horribleness. Right. Don't get a person ever. Right. But he is so frightening in this movie. He is he is chilling and he is so broad. And uh, he made me think of Nicolas Cage in Vampire's Kiss. Oh, my God. Which is ridiculous, I know, because that that performance by Nicolas Nicolas Cage is like one of the tent poles of. Yes. inadvertent hilarity yeah but i'm telling you it is the true sinister side of that sort of performance where it makes you go this guy wow right it is like he's like incredible is there a movie where jim carrey plays a vampire am yeah. i remembering that right yeah i think so or or maybe a where no i think it is a vampire is it like love sucks or something love bites love maybe? bites i think maybe. that might be right yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I, saw, I haven't seen that in a million years <laughs> i haven't either i feel like it used to be on comedy central in the middle of the night sometimes yeah um here's here's one of the weird things about dracula 1931 it is not the only dracula 1931 mm. there were two movies shot by universal on the sets uh built for this movie they would shoot the bella lugosi dracula 
And then when the sets were free, they would shoot a Spanish language version of the same script Mm. on the same sets. Wow. And it is so much better shot. You can look this up. People have done like side by sides. I've got like the Universal Monsters Blu-ray collection that included this. But um, when you first meet Dracula as Bela Lugosi, it is like the, the camera is positioned 50 feet across the room. But thankfully, his performance is is really strong. When you meet Dracula in the Spanish version on the same set, it is the camera pushing up the staircase Mm. to meet him. Evidently, the crew that was tasked with making the Spanish language version was able to look at the dailies shot for the Bela Lugosi version and learn from them what might work better. That's cool. So the English version has Bela Lugosi. That makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. The Spanish language version has far better cinematography. It's just got a lot more atmosphere. There's more material to it as well. It's a little bit longer, a little more violent. I guess the American audiences weren't thought to be able to handle um, uh, seeing what Dracula is really doing to people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's missing Bela Lugosi. The other right. guy that played Dracula in this version was told to copy Bela Lugosi. So he's trying to do the eyes. Uh-huh. But it comes across comical yeah it comes across a little batty that's funny not pun not intended right, right. But, but very batty yes uh so yeah two two sides of the same coin really i ah. i i would recommend both i i found dracula 1931 to be incredibly charming cool yeah um all right other incarnations hey, let's just get this one out of the way the other gigantic dracula adaptation is 1992 gary oldman yes is Dracula. This is directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Keanu Reeves is here as Jonathan Harker. Um, legendarily terrible British accent. Yep. And the legends are true. Yeah. <laughs> There's a case where it's like, the legend of Bigfoot? Eh, probably not real. The legend of Keanu Reeves' accent mm-hmm. in Dracula. It's all real. Right. It's horrible. <laughs> it's w- wonderful. Winona Ryder. Yep is in this movie as uh, Mina, who is the sort of lost love of Dracula that he's trying to to win over. Anthony Hopkins is Van Helsing. <sighs> How's he doing? Oh, he's great. I love Anthony Hopkins. Great. This movie was nominated for four Oscars. Okay. It won three. Hmm. Best costume, best sound effects, it's best makeup. Great haul. I had a very hard time watching this movie. I saw people online talking about how this movie... 1992's Dracula is like, there's Silence of the Lambs, there's The Shining, and there's Dracula. No. I I feel like nobody talks about this movie. They don't. I'm aware of it, but I've never seen it before, and I didn't get the impression that it's beloved. It was so hard to watch. Mm. I found it very, like, dry and one note. Mm -hmm. Um, It was very serious and in love with itself. Like, it's clearly trying to tell some gigantic you know um uh it's like a sweeping story yeah it's a a a story told all across time right you know it's just so much yeah it's just way way too much and it's also got this like annoying like kind of steampunk like vibe going it just hasn't aged well maybe okay i i I don't know but i really struggled with it yeah and i tried to to keep it together here's (laughs) i tried to keep it together i tried to keep it together but like i was watching it and i was like I was like stewing in my seat like a like a toddler, just like, oh, get me out of here! Why is this happening? Yeah, what am I doing? Um, And it's like kind of kind of legendary. 
I don't know. Really? Yeah. Hmm. It's it's. I think it's respected. I don't know. I, I really don't see people talk about it much. No. I had seen it. I should say also, like, I remember this being a movie that I rented on VHS. Like, okay. I remember renting this in the 90s. Somehow got my hands on it. I would have mm-hmm. been a kid. But I remember watching it then and knowing that it was supposed to be important or part of... And, like, grown up and maybe you just thought, like, eh, this just isn't really for me. Exactly, I'm a kid, yeah. I don't get this. Right. It's got the very iconic Gary Oldman portrayal of elderly Dracula where he's got the two... Yeah, I know about that. The yeah. big butt yep. hair. He's got his hair cut like a butt. Yep. Butt uh, cut. Butt cut. Yeah, it was parodied all over the place. I think <laughs> Mr. Burns has that butt cut at one point. <laughs> it's like everywhere. Um, Gary Oldman's great. He's always great. When he There's a moment in the movie where he reverts to young, good-looking Dracula, and uh-huh. he's got long, curly brown hair and a little goatee, and he looks just like Sirius Black. Yeah. Because he would later play Sirius Black. And right. it's, it's almost like, oh, did, in Harry Potter, were they like, we should make him look like his Dracula? Really? Yeah. It's, Maybe. it's not. I wouldn't be surprised if there was kind of like a style board somewhere that had one, at least one picture of that. Yeah, it was know? just kind of notable. Do you think that he and Anthony Hopkins started a relationship that then led him to playing Mason Verger oh, in that movie? Very good point. And Hannibal. And Hannibal, yep. Yeah, I bet you're right. I bet mm-hmm. you're right about that. Yeah. Um, here are some of the other famous Draculas. Here are like shorter bites, and I've got a, a bigger section that I want to tell you about. Okay. There is, of course, Blackula. Yes. In the 1970s, a famous black exploitation film. I didn't know the premise of this at all. And no, I just heard of it. It's kind of interesting. Here's what kicks off the events of Blackula. And then there's a sequel, Scream, Blackula, Scream. Mm. In 1780, this is, how it, this is like the opening moments. This is the cold open, basically. An African prince begs Count Dracula to help stop the slave trade. But Dracula laughs at him. There's a moment where he goes, I believe slavery has its merits. Like they have a a debate sitting around a table about Mm -hmm. stopping slavery or not. And of course, Dracula's on the side of... Because he's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. He's like, I'm sure it's bad for the slaves. Yeah. Like he's trying to appeal to the prince, right? Right. Anyway, they they get into a a fight Mm -hmm. and the prince is trying to escape with his wife for their lives. Dracula manages to get him bite him and curses him to a life of torment mm. as a being just like him. And he dubs him Blackula. Oh my God. Which you would think would be played kind of as a joke. Yeah. Yeah. A little campy. But it's not. Okay. It's very dry. It's on YouTube. You can you can watch the whole movie. Sweet. Um, he will later reawaken in 1970s uh, Los Angeles. Nice. And it's a little broad from there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, there very famously are the Hammer Horror films where Christopher Lee- mm-hmm. Known to some as Saruman, known to me as Count Dooku. <laughs> um, he's he's Dracula, and they're the originally they're pretty faithful to the book and to the original Universal Monsters movie. I do just want to call out there is also um, the last movie that Christopher Lee played Dracula in was called Dracula A.D. nineteen seventy two. Oh, which man! Is the same year Blackula came I had out. To say the seventies were a good time for Dracula. Apparently, great time for Dracula. Hmm. Um, it's also not the last time that a year will be part of the name of a Dracula movie. They love to just say like Dracula 2021. Like Weird. they love to say that. Um, here's one of the, the greatest of all time. Count Von Count. I looked into this guy. Debuted on Sesame Street in season four. Uh, oh, uh, uh. okay. Of course. Which of course started in 1972. What the hell was going on? 1972 was the year of Dracula. It's good to be Dracula in 1972, apparently. It's true. 1972. Ah, ah, ah. 
based largely on Bela Lugosi's Dracula, and his original incarnation on the show was too intense. So they had to back off a little bit. Now, it's not so intense that, you know, people listening to the show are going to be like, whoa. Yeah, but yeah, it yeah. is intense but enough that you're kids. like, yeah, not a bad idea to take that off Sesame Street. That's like when the Wicked Witch was on Sesame Street and it was too much. Yeah. From and the Wizard of Oz. Yep. And then she was on Mr. Mr. Rogers. Rogers. To show that she's just like a normal person. Yeah. It's makeup. It's all good. It's okay. Yeah. I love that story. I do too. Um, so to begin a counting session originally, the count would enter a scene holding his cape over his face, like Bella Lugosi. Um, and he was often accompanied by creepy organ music. So it's like this is something's yeah. happening here. Yeah. Um, he would not let anything interrupt him while counting. And to prevent this, he would shout silence and then use his hypnotic powers to temporarily stun people. That's awesome. To leave him alone so he could count. Yeah. Um, he only did this twice. In his first appearance, he hypnotized Bert before counting Ernie's pyramid blocks. In a season five skit with Grover, he hypnotized Grover um, who was being a waiter to serve him more and more hot dogs, which he was counting instead of eating. Uh, which, well, of course, he's not going to eat. The effort of which left Grover breathless. <laughs> After counting, he would laugh maniacally while thunder and lightning flashed in moody colors. And then he would exit the scene once again, holding his cape over his face, almost as if nothing had happened. This right? sounds awesome. It would sort of sweep in. Like, I'm used to the count just being around. Yeah, he's, right? he just lives on Sesame Street. He just lives there. Yeah. <laughs> He's just on the there. He's just one of the characters there. Yeah. Um, this, ba- this, this is from Wikipedia. This aspect of the Count's personality was abruptly ended in 1975 <laughs> out of concern that it might frighten younger viewers. And the practice was changed as it became friendlier, did not have hypnotic powers, did not enter or exit the scene holding his cape over his face, and interacted more pleasantly <laughs> with the characters. I love that. I absolutely love that. I love it. Um, here is uh, here's here are some fun things that the count did in season five. He hired Ernie to answer the telephone for him for the count, okay. so that he wouldn't be bothered while looking for things to count. He then impulsively forbade Ernie from answering the phone so that he could count the rings. <laughs> A melee. Again, from Wikipedia, a, a melee resulted when the caller retried, resulting in an argument. Oh my god! In episode, in episode nineteen, I, I guess is this episode one thousand nine hundred and seventy? I guess it so. Could be. Yeah, season sixteen, nineteen eighty four. On his first day of serving as an elevator operator, <laughs> Count von Count foolishly neglected to let Kermit out at his selected floor because he wanted to count all 10 floors of the building and was unable to stop until he finished leaving Kermit very angry. This is awesome. (laughs) I could read. You're really, if you're anywhere in the vicinity of him, you are subject to the count's whims. You just got to sit and wait for the count to be done. Let it, you just got to ride it out. Uh, Sidebar. So we, on uh, Christmas Eve, Allie and I went over to Kristen and Ryan and our our mom's house to hang out and we put on Muppet family Christmas. Uh, it's all about the Muppets. They're stuck in a house. And then the Sesame characters show up and you never see the Muppets. You never see like- Interact. Yeah. You never see like Kermit and Fozzie interact with, you know, Bert and Ernie. Right. It's like the Avengers. Yes. So it's like, it really felt like the Avengers because they great. even do stuff like they pair Animal up with Cookie Monster. Mm-hmm. So they like picked 
characters from different franchises who they knew would go well together. Like yeah. I could see the thought process of like, ah, you put this person with that. You put Big Bird with the Swedish chef. Totally. Something will result from Like it was very charming. Anyway, there's a human character uh, named Doc from Fraggle Rock who's also on the show. And when Bert and Ernie walk in, they're like, uh, it's good to meet you. And he goes, yeah, my, my name is Doc. And he goes, Doc? Doc starts with D. Mm-hmm. He goes, well, yes, it does. And Ernie goes, yes, yes, starts with Y. And he goes, now what's going on here? And Ernie goes, oh, sorry, where we come from, this is small talk. It's so good. Which is- It's a great joke. Wonderful. It's a great joke. But then later, Kermit's worried because Miss Piggy hasn't showed up. She's out there in the snow. There's a blizzard. Don't wait her. Don't worry. Later on, she commandeers a full sled with reindeer. <laughs> she certainly there, does. So she shows fine. up in style. But so he's staring out the window nervously, and the count is there, and he goes, one, one worried frog. Ah, ah, ah. And then Robin, the nephew frog, shows up and goes, make that two worried frogs. He goes, two worried frogs. Ah, ah, ah. And Doc is saying, then he goes, more small talk, I guess. Yeah. So all the things Sesame Street characters talk about is numbers and letters. And so they're like, it's, ah, so it's small cute. talk. It's small talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just wonderful. It's just great. Wonderful. Highly recommend. It's on YouTube. Couldn't recommend it enough. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Other Dracula versions. Dracula Dead and Loving It. Leslie Nielsen yeah. as Dracula. Written, directed by Mel Brooks. Mel Brooks is Van Helsing. See, you remember somehow renting the Dracula with Gary Oldman. I remember somehow renting Dracula Dead and Loving It. I remember watching it in my room and not being thrilled no. with what was happening. And I love Mel Brooks. I do too. I absolutely love Mel Brooks. I love the Naked Gun movies. God help me. Yep. And this movie's kind of a clunker. Yeah, very much a clunker. It did not do very well. I think mm-hmm. particularly off of you know Young Frankenstein, which right. would have been a couple decades prior. People were really expecting Sparks yeah. to fly. It just didn't work. Peter McNichol, though, as Renfield, is very good casting. Yeah, yes, that makes total sense. (laughs) Uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer fought Dracula in the season premiere of episode five Mm. in the year 2000. It was also somewhat comical. He bites Buffy and he tries to make her his bride, whatever, but she eventually is outside of his power and stakes him in the heart, turning him into dust. She leaves the room. Wait a couple beats. The dust reforms into Dracula because he's immortal. She stakes him in the heart again. She's like, I'm standing right here. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is Buffy yeah. is way better than Dracula, so much so right. that it's almost hilarious that he would even bother trying to come back. So he turns into mist and disappears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, the indignities for Dracula wouldn't stop there. Also in the year 2000 was a movie called Wes Craven's Dracula 2000. Yeah, when you mentioned the number thing before, I was like, oh God, I feel like there was like a teen Dracula thing with numbers. Yes, okay. and we're not even going to be done after yeah. that but uh in this movie uh dracula is being brought over to uh new orleans and the real mystery here is who is dracula they retcon well i guess they're not even retconning they're they they sort of don't even get into the vlad the impaler idea they go even further back and they will say by the end of the movie you know why is it that dracula is um you know why is it that we can repel him with a, a christian cross mm-hmm. why is it that silver is one of his vulnerabilities. Well, Kristen, it's because Dracula is Judas. Oh, wow. That's in Dracula 2000? It's in Dracula 2000, who betrayed Jesus. I feel like this is heady stuff for a movie starring vitamin C. Correct. <laughs> 
<laughs> who betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Good Lord. Hence his hatred of Christian iconography and his vulnerability to silver. This movie, even though it's called Wes Craven's Dracula 2000, it was, I guess, under Wes Craven's banner or his vision. It's directed and written by Patrick Lucier, who you might know, even if you don't know him, as the editor of the original Scream trilogy. Oh, okay. Uh, also, this movie, I didn't know until today, is part of a trilogy. Dracula 2000 was followed on video by Dracula 2 Ascension. Oh. In 2003. This is direct from Wikipedia, and I will tell you no more about it. That feels like going backwards to have Dracula 2000 and then Dracula 2. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we're up 1,998 iterations back now. Yeah. Um, this is how Wikipedia describes this movie. The film marks one of the very few cinematic portrayals of certain aspects of vampire lore, such as a vampire's compulsive need to count mustard seeds and untie knots. So you can look forward to that in I'm Dracula good. 2 Ascension. Uh, and then wrap it all up with Dracula 3 Legacy, if you have to. <laughs> if you must. If you must. There's also a movie called Dracula 3000. It has nothing to do with Dracula 2000. It is Dracula on a spaceship. All right. That sounds right. Okay. And then <laughs> there's also Blade Trinity yep. from 2004, where they finally bring blade and dracula face to face finally i guess if you have a character that's a famous vampire hunter yeah you kind of have to yeah is is dracula in van helsing or is he oh, just sure. fighting like anonymous vampires okay. no 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 dracula's in van helsing and he okay. has his his brides and everything dracula okay. is the um the guy that kicks off the entire plot of the movie van helsing okay yeah. okay um he sort of serves the role of the dr frankenstein mm -hmm. frankenstein's monsters there as well but Dracula is like running machinery okay. that is supposed to bring things back to life. Okay. I haven't seen Van Helsing. I have listened to the How This Get Made of course. episode a bunch of times, so I don't know why I don't remember this. Yeah, Seth Rogen's in that one. It's so good. It's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. You should have to watch that. Yeah, sure. If I could make you watch another movie. Van Helsing? Yeah. I'd be happy to watch Van it's Helsing. so long. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Or maybe I wouldn't be happy to watch Van Helsing. In Blade Trinity, which I also uh, have unhappily watched, mm -hmm. Dracula is played by the giant muscular Dominic Purcell. Okay. Um, a rather unusual portrayal of Dracula, who I typically think yeah, of as being- he's usually quite sinewy. Yes. But so this guy's like a big muscle-bound, like bodybuilder-looking guy. And they also update Dracula by referring to him now as the Drake. Do we have eyes on the You've Drake? You've told me that before. We've got to run from the Drake now. Oh my god! He's able to shapeshift in it. Too. I forgot about that. He shapeshifts his blade. Oh, that's awesome! In the movie, nice. Anyway, uh, here's the last thing that I, I want to tell you about, and thankfully, I found it to be surprisingly awesome. So, one of the the other movies that I watched for this episode was a cartoon movie from 2005 called The Batman versus Dracula. Now, this was based on the 2005 cartoon series, The Batman. It is not the famous Batman in the animated series. This is the somewhat lesser known animated series that debuted around the time of Batman Begins. Uh, or you mean, is it Batman Begins or Batman Beyond? Batman Begins. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so in the movie, you know, Joker and Penguin accidentally revive Dracula. His, his body is in the graveyard at Gotham for mm -hmm. some reason that I either know and forgot or they don't say. I'm not sure. Um, 
anyway, uh, Dracula is revived in Gotham City. And when he learns about Batman, goes, ah, so my legacy has done me well. Meaning people have been influenced by... People are into bats now. I'm a bat and yeah. this man is a Batman. Right. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, he's just basically re- wreaking havoc in the city and Batman's got to stop him. Yeah. Very, very straightforward. The movie isn't really the thing that caught my attention. You'll understand in a moment. But here are some standouts from the movie. Um, uh, Dracula bites a guy. The guy dies, comes back as an undead vampire. And Penguin is there when the dead body sits bolt upright. Penguin says, dead guys don't do that. Dracula's response, not dead, undead. Penguin. I think I need to unwet my pants. Oh, my God. It's a line in the movie. (laughs) Here's the best moment, though. A vampire Joker, who in this adaptation of Batman is kind of like a, also kind of like a strong guy. He's almost like a, a, he does like capoeira. He does like dance fighting. He's like, he doesn't wear shoes. He's maybe supposed to be kind of like a hyena-esque intimidating guy. He gets turned into a vampire and is trying to rob a blood bank. During a fight with Batman in there, an entire cabinet of blood samples tip over, coating the Joker in blood. And he drops to his hands and knees to lick blood off the floor, off the walls. He's like just losing his mind. Whoa. And I found it to be surprisingly dark. Yeah. And I kind of enjoyed it. Yeah. And in the, I in the movie, the blood appears quite black, <laughs> probably to get around censorship, but it, it right. also works. Cool. Yeah, it's fun. And then later on, uh, he's being held by Batman so that Batman can test his blood to try to get rid of vampirism from the blood, whatever. And Joker is going so crazy and with a need to to eat, to, to drink to blood. Feed. Yeah. That when flies come around, he starts stomping on them and eating them, which is a Renfield reference. Which cool. It's just good. Just well done. I'll have to watch this. Ryan and I are watching Batman like round the clock right now because they oh, yeah. added all that stuff to HBO Max. Yeah. Like, so we've been watching like a lot of animated Batman. I'd say it's worth a watch. Yeah. Peter Stormare is Dracula. Okay. Peter Stormare is pretty great. Mm-hmm. But here's the, here's the real th- reason why I'm talking to you about this at all. It opened up a door I didn't know was there. Batman and Dracula have met before. Mm. Many times, actually. In 1964, Andy Warhol made a movie called Batman Dracula. Uh, The film itself is lost to time. There's some footage that you can watch online. I would call it unwatchable. Okay. Black and white, shaky cam. uh, In the credits, it's just one guy who plays both Batman and Dracula. I don't know what the plot is. Who cares? 1967, there is a, a lost film from the Philippines that is a parody of Batman, I guess, called Batman Fights Dracula. There's no footage of this. There are only promotional posters that still last today. Uh, instead of Batman and Robin, it's Batman and Reuben. Okay. <laughs> that was pretty that brilliant. That was funny. But then here we go. The big enchilada. My favorite thing that I will probably be following up on and reading myself. And I will spoil all of it for you all right now. Great. Just like I've spoiled everything without warning it. In the 90s, there was a series of graphic novels called Batman and Dracula. The first one is Batman and Dracula Red Rain came out in 1991. Someone has been killing and perhaps feeding upon Gotham's homeless population. <gasps> Dracula. <gasps> Batman deliberately, knowing that he can't stand toe to toe against this, you know, hundred plus year old monster, deliberately becomes a vampire in order to get the strength necessary to ah. fight back properly. To do this, there is a, a rogue vampire who's helping Batman. Her name is Tanya. Tanya. She bites Batman, 
allowing him to retain some of his humanity. He's not controlled by Dracula, so he can fight back. Whatever. Uh, in the climactic battle, Batman manages to stake Dracula through the heart. In the process, I'm guessing, because it's somewhat vaguely written online, uh, he's drained of the last of his humanity. I'm guessing Dracula bit him. Mm -hmm. So even though he defeats Dracula, at the end of this first story, Batman is a monster. Okay. He is a vampire, permanently perhaps evil, who knows. Okay. A couple of years later, Batman and Dracula Bloodstorm comes out to continue the story. Dracula's former victims are now all left without a leader. They're just mindless, undead creatures out there. And so Joker uses this power vacuum yeah, to right. step in, and he controls the hordes of vampires, using them to basically take over Gotham City. Excellent. I also want to point out, before I go any further, this is part of what DC called Elseworlds, mm -hmm. which meant they didn't have to hold back. This is not part of It's not canon. like canon. Yeah. They can do whatever they want with the story. They can kill people if they want to. Right. And they do. Uh, seems that uh, Batman now has a uh, an also vampire Catwoman working along with him as he tries to clean up the streets by night. They're keeping each other in check mm -hmm. of their bloodlust. They're both trying to stay on the straight and narrow, on the straight and narrow as much as they can. Batman working with Catwoman at night are uh, aided by Alfred and Commissioner Gordon and the police force who during the day go around staking the vampires who can't come out. Yeah. And then Batwoman, uh, Batman and Catwoman go to work at night cleaning up whoever, you know, pops up out of the ground. Yeah. Which is just like a perfect duality. Like yeah. The Alfred Fun. and the commissioner have it by day. Catwoman and Batman are cleaning. Yeah, they're the night patrol. Night. It's great. Um, at the end of this book, Catwoman is killed in the battle against Joker and Batman loses control and in a rage bites and drains all of the Joker's blood killing him. He has broken his one rule and turned into that which he hoped never to be. Of course. Batman preemptively stakes Joker's corpse through the heart so that he can't come back as a vampire. That's a good move. Probably a good move. Yes. And then he walks over to Commissioner Gordon and Alfred and says, now you have to do the same thing to me mm -hmm. because I've become a murderer. That which I fear. This book ends with Commissioner Gordon and Alfred Pennyworth driving a stake through Bruce Wayne's heart turning him into dust four years later 1998's batman and dracula crimson mist finishes the story it's been years without a batman and gotham has been thrown into chaos <laughs> <laughs> criminals realize there's no batman no one can stop us we can do whatever we want alfred in a desperate hope to to save the situation goes to the corpse of bruce wayne and pulls the stake from its heart oh allowing the Batman uh -huh. to reconstitute and come back to life. But he comes back to life wrong ah. from Wikipedia. Driven mad by the decaying of his body and his longing for blood, Batman begins draining and decapitating. Draining and decapitating? Yeah, why the decapitation? Because he just wants to. It just feels like it. The city's criminals, including his own rogues gallery. So he's like, you know, cutting the head off the Riddler. In yeah, here. right. Creating chaos as the body count escalates. Two people manage to avoid the Batman's murder spree. Two-Face and Killer Croc, who, now that we all realize, like, uh-oh, bringing Batman back created a bigger problem. Yeah. Killer Croc and Two-Face team up with Commissioner Gordon and Alfred to fight Batman. Oh, my God. 
the alliance is pretty uneasy though i don't know how fast <laughs> this happens but the uh, killer croc and two-face um turn tail not yeah. turn tail they 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 well, double croc might have turned tail that's true they double cross and they try to kill alfred mm. and uh commissioner gordon that sounds right yeah they just had the opportunity i guess alfred this is a, a very weird alfred sacrifices himself so that Batman can feed on him oh. to get more strength to save Commissioner Gordon. But then Batman's still going to be a problem. Yes, that's true. Okay. But I guess now Alfred's like, well, I was trying to team up with them to stop you. Yeah. But then they tried to kill us. So I'll team up with you to stop them. And then I'll deal with how to... Or know. I won't deal with anything because I'll be dead because right. you ate me. Yeah, right. So Alfred is dead now. And Batman goes to save Commissioner Gordon. He impales Killer Croc on a stalagmite and then stabs Two-Face in both sides of his head. So he often, I guess. You gotta get those two sides. You gotta get the two sides of Two-Face's yeah, faces. Yeah, yeah, Anyway, Gordon still dies anyway. They're in the Batcave and it's falling apart. So he's killed under some rubble. Meaning that now vampire Batman's standing there and everyone is dead. Yeah. Everyone is dead. Including his friends, right? all of his enemies, and all of the vampires from the old Vampire Wars. So, his work complete, Batman willingly steps out into the sunlight, allowing himself to burn to ashes, quote, hoping that in his last moments, in death, he can finally find the peace he has been unable to have since his vampiric transformation. Wow. Final. Woo. Fin. The end. What a journey. What a saga. Yeah. I didn't know this thing existed. Looking it up, I looked at some of the artwork and realized- It sounds sweet. I might have some issues of this. Oh, that's cool. I've got a gigantic comic book collection yeah. that dad bought for me and then made me mow the lawn to pay off, <laughs> even though I didn't ask for, even though I didn't ask for that. <laughs> Literally walked into my room and was like, I want a, uh, an eBay auction for uh, 300 comic books. I went, oh, cool. Thanks, daddy. Yeah. He went, it was uh, 75 bucks, so- uh, I guess the next few times you mow the lawn, like it didn't ask for it. That dude ruled. Don't don't really read comics, <laughs> you know. That's so funny. I know it's so weird. He just wanted me to have a hobby. He also wanted me to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> so, props to you, Dad. God bless. Yep. <laughs> just, just a real wild choice. Anyway, yeah. I recognize some of the artwork. I think I might have some. That's of cool. Them. Uh, it's it's fairly iconic. I guess this maybe is something that people know about, but I yeah. didn't really know much about it. But I find that story to be really surprising it is like th a three-act yeah. story batman fights dracula defeats him but loses his humanity mm -hmm. evil batman is trying to fight back to finish the war as best he can loses his loved ones uh, uh loses control kills somebody has gone too far you must kill me right come back to life batman you know wreaks havoc and then in the aftermath as the dust clears realizes i can go no further walks into the sun and dies it's like mm -hmm. shockingly tidy. Yeah, yeah. Sh shockingly good for Batman versus Dracula. Yeah, right. That you would think that'd be campier. Yeah, you'd think it would be terrible, like silly. Right. Yeah. 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 Goofy or yeah, mm -hmm. childlike, like the cartoon movie was or something right. like that. I don't know, but uh, hmm. kind of kind of impressed by that that cool. story arc there. Anyway, yeah. Those are some of the the cinematic, some of the the book based, some of the television iterations of Vladimir Dracul. Excellent. Not to mention Grandpa from the Monsters. Of course. Who is evidently supposed to be uh, Dracula. Yeah, we didn't even touch on that. We didn't. But, well. Well, now we did. 
Yes, that's true. Okay. So we're good. Base is covered. Yeah. And now we're going to go. So thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed talking about Dracula or listening to us talk about Dracula. And as we said before, please go to patreon.com slash pod. Please leave us a review wherever you like to leave reviews because it really makes a big difference and helps other people find and want to listen to the show. Yeah. It can expand the very cool community that you can find at gttupod.com. Yeah. Uh, some of the other places. I know a lot of people out there also don't have yep. an iPhone or an iPad or something. So Apple Podcasts is just always going to be the one for podcasts that we all say go there. But there are other places. Mm-hmm. If you are uh, frequently on Facebook, there is a feature that allows you to recommend Guide to the Unknowns page. That's facebook.com slash pod. if you'd like to endorse us there. There is also a uh, very rapidly growing database of podcasts called Podchaser. So if you go on there and you look up Guide to the Unknown, anybody, regardless of uh, if you have an iPhone or not, you can leave a review for Guide to the Unknown and follow us. Mm-hmm. And you know you can even review an individual episode on there. They really have a pretty a pretty in depth ecosystem. Yeah. So really, anything that um, uh, you'd be willing to do to to tell the world that you enjoy this show would be much appreciated. Yes, very very much appreciated. And thank you to everybody who has done that already. Yeah. Make sure that you go to huntakiller.com slash blog. You should all be hopefully reading Kristen's awesome work. Over Thank there. you. Uh, or listening to it. Yep. Kristen's been covering things like the various versions of Disney's Haunted Mansion, um, covering Hellier, which is, uh, thankfully, I know you had recommended that to me many times yeah. before, but like now there's like an article that really explains, if you've heard people talking about Hellier, mm-hmm. you can finally get a crash course on what the deal is. Yeah. Um, and in Kristen's articles, not only can you read what she has to say, but also recently she has been narrating the article so you can listen to them as well. So it's like a, a mini podcast right there in the page of the article. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you, William. You bet. Go do that, everybody. That's right. Um, yeah. So we will definitely see you next time, everybody. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. If you have any interest, you can always reach out to us as well. That's right. I'm at Chillin' Kristen. I am at The Myth Traveler. So we will be back next week for more spooky old stories. But until that time comes, we must travel. Back to the netherworld, go we. You know, I never go anywhere without my soil. I am constantly soiling myself, so there is that. I feel like mine rode like a line and then yours fully crossed it, right? Like a, yeah. I, all I said was a, an arguably vague, yeah. I never go anywhere without my soil, which you could interpret. Yeah. Then you said, I'm constantly soiling myself, which has one interpretation, exactly one. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. 
Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with grills for hands or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Collectors Club, you're here to believe us. Wait, is that how it goes?